Abby, thank you so much for being here with me. So I want to start by saying, what problem were you trying to solve when you started Misfits Market? So we were actually trying to solve two. Okay. Um, and they're, they're tied, although I'll talk about them differently. The first one is just the massive amount of food waste that exists in the US. And, mm -hmm. and the idea for Misfits came from me going to a farm and seeing that for every apple that was on a tree, there would be 10 on the ground that the farmer was saying, I'm going to throw out. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a huge amount of food waste, and you'll see stats like you know a third of the food that's grown in the U.S. goes to waste before it actually makes it to the consumer. So that's one huge problem we're trying to tackle. And the other problem is, um, at the same time, there there are so many folks that don't have access to healthy, affordable food in the United States. And you know, I um, I have spent a lot of time in Philadelphia. That's how I started Misfits. And even within the city of Philadelphia, um, there are you know census-designated food deserts, mm -hmm. uh, urban food deserts where. You know, you can go buy cheesesteak and potato chips, but you can't buy a fresh apple. Um, and what was mind-boggling to me was the fact that while you have these food deserts here, an hour out, you have a farmer throwing away perfectly fine apples. And so our goal with Misfits was to tackle those two problems at the same time, the, the, the sustainability problem and the accessibility problem of food. Interesting. Now, what are you doing that is totally different from competitors like Fresh Direct or Instacart? Yeah, so, so I, th I think there's, there's two fundamental things about our model that are different. The first is um, we're not buying the regular food that you'd see at the grocery store. Mm. Um, we're buying, you know, we started, uh, our brand was originally known for ugly produce. Uh, it's the produce that's like too small, too mm. large. It's, you know, squash that's curved in a crazy, you know, crazy shape. Um, so, so that's how we started. And over time, we've expanded our assortment. And the unifying theme has been it's sort of the ugly groceries that traditional grocery stores won't buy for reasons that you and I kind of would think are somewhat ridiculous, because that's just how our industry operates in grocery. Yeah. Um, and so that's the, our primary focus, is like the ugly misfit groceries of the world that uh, wouldn't make it to, 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 to store shelves because you know, they're too small, they're too large, the packaging is old, or um, you know, an, another area we play in a lot is things where you know, the, the, the expiration date might be 120 days or 180 days. Mm -hmm. That's not enough for a grocery store to take advantage of, but that is for a direct consumer e-commerce platform. So that's one huge difference of our model. The second one is we work directly with the farmers and producers. Um, there are a lot of kind of e-commerce models out there in grocery where they use third parties, they use distributors. Um, if we have an interesting little uh, an infographic that shows the life of an apple um, when you order it on Misfits versus when you go and buy it from the grocery store. Hmm. And you buy it from the grocery store, that apple goes to 10 different places along the way. It goes to a co-packer, then a distributor, and then a regional distribution center, and then the local distribution center, and then the store. Um, and that's also the case for a lot of the other traditional e-commerce grocery platforms. For us, the apple goes from the farm to a Misfits warehouse to your doorstep. Um, so I think those are the two fundamental differences. It's how we source and then our, our much kind of tighter, smaller supply chain. Now I'm curious about the consumer psychology behind all of this because how do you change a consumer's mind then who's used to getting, you know, a bright red beautiful apple from yep. Stop and Shop as opposed to like going to Misfits Market? How do you get them to make that change? Yeah. The it's it's a great question because the customer education side of this has been hugely important for us. Right. Um, and and when we first started, I think there was some hesitancy. People were like, "Well, do I want to buy the ugly apple?" But but it was actually more, it was less so coming from a place of they were afraid of it being ugly and they kind of, it was more of a lack of understanding. It was like they weren't actually sure what 
you know, Ugly Produce actually was. Um, and we, we've tried kind of rebranding, going from Ugly to Misfit. You know, there's a company that we, we bought recently called Imperfect Foods. So we use, even use the adjective imperfect. Mm -hmm. But there's still this learning gap because most folks don't understand what that means. Um, and what's interesting is when, when our customers get their first box, their immediate reaction when they open it up is, a lot of this stuff doesn't look misfit. It mm -hmm. actually looks fine. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we spent a lot of time and energy kind of educating the customer like, hey, you might see kale that's got slight discoloration on the edges or the tips simply because it was exposed to a little bit too much sunlight um, two days before harvest. Or mm -hmm. you, know, you might have broccoli, uh, you know, there's something called purpling on broccoli heads where again, due to temperature changes, the, the green color on the top of the broccoli will be a little bit more purple shade than green shade. Mm -hmm. Does not impact the quality at all. Does that impact the nutrition or the taste? Just aesthetic. Um, mm -hmm. So we've done a lot of sort of customer education, outward customer education um, to get that point across. We we partnered with folks that have voices in the space. So for example, we did a couple of years ago, we, we did a huge partnership with uh, Bobby Flay, the celebrity chef. Because um, we were like, you know, it's one thing if I'm sitting there on TV or on, on an ad telling folks like, don't worry, your broccoli is fine, it's just a little purple. Mm -hmm. But if Bobby Flay says it, um, who is a name that folks recognize and trust around food, mm -hmm. maybe that helps the customer education piece. So, so we have seen over the past five years since launch that um, we, we have a kind of gone over that hurdle for a lot of folks, but it's still, it's still kind of the biggest challenge for us is like how do we get people to understand that you know, misfit does not equal bad um, and how do we make that really clear across all of these items. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned your Imperfect Foods acquisition, so that's a fellow under 30 who acquired yep. the company last year, um, and you recently told another publication that you know that's not your only acquisition. Talk to me about your acquisition strategy and how you're looking at that going forward. Yeah, um, so you know Imperfect was it was not something I was planning on doing to be honest. Mm. Um, we, you know, our. our M&A was something that you know I had thought about as, hey, maybe like another five years down the line is something we'll consider and, and right. do that. But um, you know, I think candidly, like the macro environment changed so dramatically over the past couple of years, and there and we started seeing a lot of companies that were evaluating like, should I go raise more capital at an onerous terms that are really challenging with valuations that are different than what they were three years ago, right. or should I consider strategic alternatives? And so that's kind of how the imperfect conversation came up was they were considering a fundraise. Um, but as they were considering that, they were like, we should probably also explore doing something with, Mif with Misfits. The companies are more similar than they are alike. So, um, and then those conversations very quickly became tactical, like let's actually do something. My, you know, my broad take on direct consumer platforms right now, and especially sort of like food e-commerce, grocery e-commerce, mm -hmm. is there are a lot of companies that just don't have the scale to be meaningfully profitable. Right. Um, and it's getting increasingly harder to get that scale purely from you know customer acquisition on Facebook or Instagram, whatever the channels have been over the past few years. Um, and so there is a, a, a real, we see like a real consolidation happening. Mm. Some of it is forced consolidation because some companies have no other option. Um, and some of it is, you know, they, you know, companies look at uh, what used to be a competitor and they say, well, now one plus one equals three. If we can combine and reduce costs and get synergies and all those things. So we, we very much so, and I, I very much so believe that like consolidation is going to be a big part of the future of, of the industry. Mm -hmm. um, we've proved our, I think we've proved our muscle with the imperfect acquisition. And so my hope is that we can, you know, we'll do more of these in the next, uh, the next couple of years. 
Now, speaking of that, you had talked to one of our Forbes reporters last year and you'd said that, you know, you couldn't name a single standalone profitable online grocery company, yep. um, but your acquisition of Imperfect would, would help Misfits achieve that. Did it, um, and where are you at with profitability today? Yeah, we're um, we're we're on on track to get there. Okay. Um, so so we outlined such a when we did the imperfect acquisition, which was in um, at the end of October of 2022. We were like, yeah. hey, here's the 18 month roadmap to get the combined business profitability, uh, and we're on track. Um, I think our 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 Excellent. kind of base case plan is in 2024 we get to uh, to, to, to profitability. So um, on track there, and, and the imperfect acquisition was a huge part of that mm. um, because the math ended up being, you know, hey, like. Standalone, we have two subscale companies, um, combining them and then sort of you know consolidating warehouses and combining logistics networks, um, making you know not having duplicate assortments in the same facilities. Uh, that was a huge part of achieving those synergies. Interesting. Now you've had quite the fundraising journey too. Can you talk to me a little bit about that and how you're looking at taking on capital going forward? Yeah, um, you know I, I think our goal is that we are able to get to meaningful cash flow profitability with our current balance sheet. Mm. Um, so, you know, whether we get there is still kind of like TBD, but but I think the goal is no additional capital coming into the business. Okay. Um, and, you know, we, we've raised north of half a billion dollars over the past few years, and we have an amazing A-list group of investors that are incredibly supportive. So if we needed to raise more capital, we could. Mm. Um, but my goal is to get the business to profitability and sort of, you know, standalone, default alive, whatever the word is that people use these days, uh, on the existing balance sheet. So I don't think we'll raise more capital. Um, if we need it, I think, the op you know, the opportunity exists, but I don't think we will. Um, and then for us, it really just becomes a question of, at that point, do we have the scale and do we like the economic uh, economics of the business to then go go public at some point? Mm. What would it take for you to sell your company, and is that the goal ever? Um, it is not. It is not our like first or tier one goal. Mm. Um, and, and part of that is because I think what we're doing is very different from um, I believe what sort of the the acquirers in the space are doing. Um, and you know, m my take is. And what I mean by that is traditionally the acquirers in this space have been brick and mortar grocery retailers. So like the big behemoths that we're trying to disrupt. Right. And you know, ultimately I think my take on it is, is if we try to sell the business too early, then the disruptive force that we are um, probably stops. That's, that will no longer be the case if mm -hmm. we're kind of absorbed by a much, much larger old school brick and mortar grocery retailer. Um, and I think there's an incredible amount of TAM here to still go after, right? If you look at online grocery, the, the, the stats are, Kind of crazy. It's it's um it's almost a trillion dollars of consumer spend in grocery, and only eleven or twelve percent of that's online right now. Mm. So even at a hundred twenty billion dollar market, you're still talking about you know sub fifteen percent online penetration. Right. And so my hope is we can continue to kind of grow this um, as an independent company, whether it's a private company or a public company. I think TBD, and that will depend on what the market's like and you know whether we like the IPO markets. Um, but I think our goal is to sort of continue to build as a independent company for for some period of time. Um, we're always you know, we've gotten approached by retailers and folks and mm. asking and poking around and we've ju just generally said, hey, like, now's not the time. Mm -hmm. Now, you talked about online grocery and I know online, the online grocery space exploded during the pandemic. Yep. Um, how are you looking at that now as there's kind of this post-pandemic slowdown? Yeah. Um, I think a couple things on it. One, we, the growth rates that people expected and saw during 2020 and 2021, mm -hmm very different from what we're seeing and folks are seeing in the industry in 2022 and 2023. Mm. Um, and I think that's just the reality of it is like, you know, hey, if you 
have lockdowns and force everyone to be at home, they're going to order more online. And then right. once they start going out and traveling more, that will revert a little bit more to the to the mean. Um, and I think that reversion to the mean is something that every food e-commerce, grocery e-commerce company has seen over the past couple of years. Um, e-commerce in general, I think, has seen that. Yeah. Um, but we did this exercise internally where we kind of plotted out um, sort of uh, from survey data and from our internal data what the slope of like e-commerce adoption for groceries look like pre-COVID and post-COVID, mm -hmm. and it's still accelerating. Mm. Um, so the, the, the pace at which people want to order groceries online and not go to store, that is still accelerating. Okay. And we still think there's, you know, that 120 billion out of the 1 trillion is still a big opportunity. But I think the growth rates won't be the, you know, 100% year over year that, that folks right. saw in 2020, uh, 2020 and 2021. That makes sense. So now I want to end on what's next for you, what's next, next for Misfits Market in 2024? Yeah, I think um, you know the, the key themes for us. One, we are um, now that we're officially done with our integration of Imperfect Foods, we now have like a single platform um, mm. that we can leverage to grow moving forward. And so, unified technology stack, unified operating system, um, unified warehouse uh, network, logistics network, and so that's going to provide, I think, a really great foundation for us to grow. Um, and, and really, for 2024, we are we are going to be growing our assortment pretty substantially. Uh, with the goal of really being a standalone online grocery store. Um, so th there's there's a lot of categories that we don't even play in today mm -hmm. that we're planning on launching in 2024, which I think are gonna, is gonna open up uh, a ton of opportunity for the consumer. Excellent, well thank you so much and good luck with that. Thank you, appreciate it.